Well, the first thing I look at is lower half. So, you know, one of the main things, if you're not using your legs in the swing, you're not going to be very successful. So, you know, is your lower half working correctly? Are you sequencing correctly? And then the biggest thing that we see is what we call whether you're a pusher or you swing the bat. Do you push your hands and your hands swing the bat? Or are you letting your body sequence correctly and the body swing the bat? Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On today's show, we have Lorenzo Garmendia, founder of Gratum Baseball in Miami, Florida. Lorenzo shares information about his experiences training players from the major leagues all the way down to youth-aged players. And on the show, Lorenzo talks about exit velocity, launch angles, swing flaws, and how hockey is a great way to train baseball players. A few things that I took from Lorenzo. He believes that there are typically five hitting flaws that you can train players on, and he also believes that hitting is a physics equation. Force equals mass times acceleration. It is force you impart into the baseball for exit velo. Without further ado, here is Lorenzo Garmendia. Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, pleasure. Pleasure for you having us on. Oh, definitely. And so, you know, I, I watch the Red Sox a lot. I started noticing some different swing changes that Christian Vasquez had in, I think, spring training. And so after watching him the last couple of years, I started to notice that there was a you know, a big swing change. And so I was like, man, he, he put in a lot of good work this off season. And then I started to try and figure out who he worked with and leads me to you. So I would love to know, you know, and we can get into the nuts and bolts later, but Lorenzo, for us to get to know you a little bit better, how did you decide to get into baseball and why did you decide to get into coaching? Well, interesting story. I never played baseball. So first and foremost, that's kind of like I tell every single one of my clients, especially the major leaguers, like I never played baseball, but I did. I do have three sons, and you know, growing up they played sports, and they kind of like picked baseball. And I'm like, okay, this is what you guys want to play, no problem. And I would take them to coaches and instructors, and I have a mathematical background. And I was looking at it like, God, what they're teaching them really doesn't make sense from a hitting perspective, and from a pitching velocity perspective. So I just kept, you know, I'm very self-educated. So I would do my own homework and my own research. And and the more my kids were playing at a higher level and the more they wanted to play, the more I was, you know, learning. And, you know, basically kind of like, you know, I I don't want to say the word figure it out because we hate that word, Mm -hmm. but we just learned that there's a better way than what was being taught everybody coming up on how to swing or how to throw. Well, definitely. And I I love to hear perspectives on people from outside of baseball, just because, again, it it gives us a different perspective on our sport. And I love to be able to study other coaches from different fields. And especially, you know, when we're in the game of baseball, like I've been and like a lot of us that get into coaching have been, we have a, you know, a certain 
confirmation bias that we see different things that we that we have always seen and we can use different things to confirm what we are seeing. But, you know, I, I want to get into, uh, again, the nuts and bolts of what you guys are teaching. And again, it, it's going to be a really interesting conversation because you're uh, for looking at it from the outside in and then you're completely into it now, working with major leaguers down all the way to the youth level. So tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and, and tell us how you're teaching it. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, this is the off season now for professional baseball. And as soon as the season ends, you know, definitely uh, started picking up some more clients. So our regular clients that are major league players, minor league players, you know, start coming back. Some of the guys that have taken a lot of swings, we tell them to hold off. You know, you know, we definitely don't want to get going until sometime maybe after Thanksgiving. Guys that did not have players that did not have good seasons, those are the ones that we're getting in right away. And we've got a couple of really good, interesting players that I think a lot of people know that didn't have good seasons that I, I, I really feel strong that they're going to do really well this next 2020 season. Let's say that, you know, most of our listeners are, are college coaches or uh, high school coaches. That's about the age. So anywhere from 14 to 22. And let's say that that I'm a prospective client and I walk in and I say, Lorenzo, you know, what what would we start with? And so I'm walking into the door and I say, Lorenzo, can you train? Can we can we train this off season? What would be some of the first things that you do? And, and kind of take us through your process of what that first day would look like. My first major league client was Alex Rodriguez. I'll go back to go forward. And um, my son, you know, when, when Alex Rodriguez came to our facility, think about he walked in, we gave him water. There was security at the door to make sure nobody would come in, sat him down, you know, really gave him the AA, you know, five-star treatment. And my son was there and he says, hey, until we don't start treating our clients, whether they're 10 years old, high school or college or anything, you know, anybody that plays, like that, we're not going to be really successful. Mm -hmm. And that really hit, you know, you know, that really, you know, opened my eyes and, and we started doing that, you know, that's what we do. Like you come, you come to ground them, you walk in, there's free water, you get cold water all the time. Um, we, uh, you come in and we give you what's called a free swing assessment, but with all the latest technologies that even some major league teams don't have. So they get the right view pro analysis. They get the rep soto numbers. We hook them up to K motion. We give them a complete, I'd say about 45 minutes to one hour uh, assessment of what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. And right off the bat, the educational factor of that, the way we're able to connect the dots just in those 45 minutes, whether you hit with us or not, you leave with a really good understanding of what you should be doing. Well, that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, the, the more that we get into data integration and the more that the kids are exposed to that, I, I obviously think that that's important. And uh, I mean, uh, uh, with the Tuesday teaching videos, let, let's talk about those. And, you know, one thing that really stood out for me that I think that you and I, or that I definitely agree with you, and that's direction of the swing. And I, I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of value in that. And I don't think a lot of people are really talking about that. And is that, and you guys use actually a hockey stick uh, for working on that. And that's, that's, again, one of the teaching Tuesday videos that's on YouTube. And so tell us a, a little bit about that. I mean, is that kind of where you start? Do you start with direction? Do you start with based on what the player's moving? I mean, it, I, I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there, but tell us a little bit about it. Well, the first thing I look at is lower half. So, you know, one of the main things, if you're not using your legs in the swing, you're not going to be very successful. So, you know, is your lower half working correctly? Are you sequencing correctly? And then the biggest thing that we see is what we call whether you're a pusher or you swing the bat. Do you push your hands? and your hands swing the bat, 
or are you letting your body sequence correctly mm-hmm. and the body swing in the back? So the hockey stick, you know, great point. Watch a hockey game. And if let's say, you know, the goal is in front of you, you'll never see a hockey player come around a puck. They always are to and through it. Mm-hmm. So when you look at direction, that's huge in regards to baseball. You know, we have a terminology. We work from south to north, not east to west. Every player was taught east to west. When in reality, the object of the game is to hit the ball forward. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hit the ball forward, you technically want to be working from back to front, south to north. And the hockey stick really emphasizes that. I use that with every major league client, little league client, every single client uh, goes through the hockey stick progression. I like that. And and again, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make sure I link these videos down in the show notes just so they have an idea of where to find these videos that we're talking about today. And, and so I, I love that. And so we all have a, you know, a bias that we're looking for in video. And I think everybody is a little bit different on how they analyze video. And, and when whenever they're looking, they're looking for certain things. And you mentioned that you started with the lower half and then you talked about direction being south to north. So just kind of take us through your process of whenever you start looking at someone's video, you may never have seen them swing before and they send you a video and they say, Hey, Lorenzo, can you check this out and tell me what, what you see? What do you start with? And do you have any tips on how we can analyze video better? Oh, absolutely. You know, I give you the analogy. If we were, you know, we were in a, in a, in a hospital in an x-ray room and somebody comes in with a fracture and puts the x-ray up, I, you know, shouldn't, you know, the fractures there, whether 10 doctors are going to give you an opinion or 10 radiologists or x-ray, uh, you know, personnel. So when you look at video, you should be looking at certain things. Yet when you, in the baseball community, you put a video up and you'll get 10 different things on a video. So the first thing you should look at, crucial is the legs. Uh, is, the, is the player using his legs to swing? From there, you start looking at rotation. Is his torso rotating? Or like, uh, so a lot of guys are being taught, you know, stay front side closed, stay front side closed. Well, if you stay front side closed, then the only way you can swing that bat is by pushing your hands. So the second thing we look for is, is his body rotating? Is his torso rotating? Mm-hmm. Is his upper half rotating? Is, or is he trying to stay closed? And those, you know, those are things you start seeing right away of where he's getting, pro- you know, he's having problems, AKA without speed pitch, slider away, maybe the inside fastball, two seamer. You know, then you start looking at what is the pitcher exploiting in that gentleman's swing, and he's not doing correctly because he's not using his body correctly. And video shows you shows you all that. Sure. And so, let's say that you're sitting down with me. Is it more of a so you're asking them questions about why they're swinging a certain way? No, uh, Jonathan. Here's this is the crazy part. Uh, you know, again, we you know we're, we're working with the highest level players all the way down to ten year old players. And what still gets to me is that even at the highest levels, guys don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by they don't know what they're doing, they don't know what their swing is supposed to be doing or how they can repeat it or what they should be looking for to try to repeat. So the educational factor is what's missing. Definitely. And, and so a way to teach that, do you put them, do you show them some different examples as to what? you know, different major leaguers who you feel like they have efficient swings. Do you put them next to them and then just kind of show them the differences? Absolutely. So one of the things we do, like like to us, the gold standard right now is Mike Trout. Mm -hmm. He is a great uh, player to to look at, you know, what he does. I mean, he's pound for pound the best player right now. And he's going to put up 
probably the best numbers if he stays healthy. So if, if you know Mike Trout, he was born in Millville, New Jersey. So what I'll show him, I'll show them Mike Trout. Then I'll show him Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. who was uh, born in California. Then I'll put a, a, a player, let's say, from Venezuela. So I'll pick four or five different players that never played to get, you know, together, never got coached together the same. And we show the videos and we, we can detail and show them how they each do the same thing. Nolan Arenado does what Mike Trout does. Mike Trout does what Joanny Cespedes does. Joanny Cespedes does what Mike Carpenter, Matt Carpenter does. When we show you what they're doing, the principles, they all do the same. Okay. And for, you know, for those listening who are, are like Lorenzo, you know, tell us what you think that they're doing that's the same so they can kind of get a visualization of what you mean. I, I, I think that, you know, all of us can, can imagine their swings a little bit, but tell us what you mean by they do some of the same things because they all have a little bit different styles, but what are the, what are the things that they do the same? And, and that's great. The styles are different. So, you know, where you put your hands, how you start, that's all style. I don't look at any of that, that, you know, that's a comfort thing. Whatever you feel as a player comfortable doing, that's great. Mm -hmm. But what you got to look at is when that heel plant, that front foot heel plant lands, how is the body now working a swing? So I'm looking at, you know, did they get a positive move? First of all, did they get into their back hip? Mm -hmm. You know, did they create that, that, that hinge? Uh, If they did that, then good. Did they go and have a positive move? You hear every day, stay back, stay back, stay back. When in reality, every great hitter doesn't stay back. They go forward. Mm-hmm. It, you have a positive move. And and then they all do it. And then we also look at angles. Like, are they symmetrical in their bottom half? Are they balanced? Balance is huge in hitting. And then, like I told you, we start looking at rotation. Or do their hands go first? If your hands go first, you're going to get away with it when you're young. But as soon as this, the pitching gets better, that's when it's over. You're exposed completely. So that's another thing that we look at crucial, you know, does the torso rotate or are you throwing your hands? You know, like they say, Hey, throw your hands at the ball. If you're doing that, you're going to have issues at the upper levels. Makes sense. And, you know, is, is there a way, and this is something that, that I've been trying to do more of, and that's really setting up our a practice environment where they have to adjust and it's more game-like. And so what are some different practical ways that you help them with that? I think that I think that swing, like swing changes, will help with adjustability and give them giving them more time uh, to be able to see the ball, hit the ball, and to stay in the zone longer, which will help with adjustability. But are there any ways in practice that you guys are training that? So let's say you know you're a boxer, I'm a boxer, and we're going to fight tonight. And I've got a great left hook, and you can't block the left hook. So if we fight ten rounds, I'm probably going to win eight to all of the rounds. You might win one or two rounds. That's exactly what happens in baseball from 10 years old all the way to major leagues. I'm the pitcher. I've got a really good either change up, you know, curveball, slider, and your swing doesn't allow you to hit that pitch. Well, it's over. We could, you know, I, I can face you 10 times. I'm going to beat you, you know, probably eight to nine to 10 times. And that's where you see your 100, 200 hitters. So the way we look at it is let's train the swing to be able to hit every pitcher's pitch and then let's go to work so you don't have that and think about it if you can't hit us if you're a righty right-handed batter and i'm facing a right-handed pitcher and i don't know how to hit a slider mm-hmm. it, i could practice a thousand years if i don't know how to do it and i haven't been taught how to do it i'm not going to have success against the slider if i haven't been taught how to hit the inside pitch the inside fastball 
my swing can't, you know, can't get the barrel there, then, you know, again, we can, you know, play 10 times, face you 10 times. I'm going to be a 100, 200 hitter. So why you, you know, if you look at the changes that our guys are making, why they're doing so well is, for example, you look at Christian Vasquez's stats last year. He hit a buck 50 versus right-handed sliders. This year, 305. That's it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And do you guys, are you guys training like uh, sliders in practice? So it's like setting up a slider machine and, and having them, having them, you know, get their best swing off against it. So this I took from Bill Belichick. So uh, Tom Brady practices against 10 defensive backs every day in practice. When the game on Sunday starts, he's facing five. How do you think he feels? Better. <laughs> and a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. So let's say if you're a high school player and you're, you, know, you get to see 82, 83 mile an hour sliders, we're going to get you up to 88, 89 mile an hour sliders. When you get that into that game and you see that slider, Hey, I I can deal with this. I mm-hmm. I can put good wood and I can barrel this ball up. I like that, and I, I love the the concept of overtraining. And is there a is there a limit to what you put on that? Because I you know I, I we have some high school players who would do well in that environment, and some high school players who that is about ten miles and over over about what they're what they're the the highest that they're going to see. So is there like is, do you guys have a certain percentage that you work over or you just you're throwing them at them, trying to get everything to slow down a little bit. Well, you know, again, it's like you know, all uh, you know, perspective. Like, so if let's say we're dealing with uh, a freshman, you know, and he's seeing seventy five, eighty, well, we definitely want him to start seeing eighty, eighty five. You know, we want to see him. You know, breaking balls won't be as sharp. Maybe more loopy curveball because that's what he's seeing. But we are, but we are always taking him up. Like, I don't look at it like, hey, if you're 15 years old, why can't you hit a 92-mile-an-hour fastball on the inner third and drive it the other way? Why not? You know, there's no reason why. There's guys that are doing it. So Mm -hmm. if we can get you there, we're going to get you there. So we don't put limits. We just, we teach it first. We really teach it. And then we make sure that they get it. So for us, it's a progression. The way. So here's another analogy We, we always give our players. Airlines Arena, man, the basketball rim is 10 feet. If you mm-hmm. went to Madison Square Garden, Jonathan, how high is the rim there? 10 feet. If you go to Staples Center in Los Angeles, where, how, how high is it there? Same height. Cleveland, same thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to teach you how to dunk, okay? So if, if you can dunk in Miami, you can dunk in New York, you can dunk in LA, you can dunk anywhere in this country. Well, if you flip that to baseball, the rim is center field. So if you're playing high school ball, what are we looking at, 380, 400? Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to teach our players how to dunk. So if you can't, you know, and again, think about this. If you're in the NBA, have you ever seen an NBA player that cannot dunk? It's hard for me to think of one. Exactly. So when well, we teach our players how to dunk, we want them to make sure that they could go 400 feet dead center. Now, if you're, you know, if it's a physical constraint, then we say, look, skill-wise, swing-wise, you're there. Everything is perfect. You need to add 10, 20, 30 pounds, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, say you're a freshman, you know, weighing 130, you know. Oh, but if it's a swing, which it usually is the swing, then we teach them so they can start hitting the ball consistently dead center. Mm-hmm. And you will see exit velocity tick up. Spin rates, which you're going to start hearing a lot about that now in the major leagues and stat cast, we're huge on spin rate of the ball coming off the bat. If it's important coming out of the pitcher's hands, it's just as important coming off the bat. Right. So if you're able to create good backspin consistently, 
you're going to get way more carry, even if your exit velo isn't as much as, let's say, a John Carlos Stanton. I like that. Is there a is there a range that you guys give them in rap soto of spin rate to stay in between? Absolutely, eighteen. You want to be in the eighteen hundred to twenty two hundred okay. spin rate, and then you if okay, and then real important, if you're a right handed hitter, you want to be what's called twelve o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock three o'clock that's where that's your sweet spot if you're a left-handed hitter you want to be nine o'clock ten o'clock eleven o'clock twelve o'clock that's where your spin rate should be consistently if you're lefty or if you're right we're huge on that also i like that that's something that that i haven't dug enough into just because we we have a flight scope which doesn't measure outgoing uh spin rate but it's something that that i the more that i've read into it the more that that's a really a really useful tool and an, another thing that I'm really trying to do now is the closer that we're getting to the season is train better decisions. And again, whenever we're talking about the swing, whenever we're talking about being on time, that's going to help us to see the ball better and to make better decisions. But how how are you helping with this in practice? Are you training better decisions? And how do you get them to to understand when to spit on the on the slider down versus the slider that's going to be on the outer half of the plate? Because that's that's a killer for a lot of careers. So how are you doing that? Great question, Jonathan. So here's what you you run into. Uh, okay, so these are you know philosophies that you've heard you know throughout the years since baseball started. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you what you usually hear. Get your foot down early. How many times you've heard that in your in, in your baseball career and, and what, what you do? A ton. Okay. If you went, so let's say you and I, I'm in South Florida great nightlife so let's say we went you know we went to a bar you know just gonna say we went to a bar and we show up at six in the afternoon who's in there no one Mm -hmm. but if we get there around 10 11 o'clock and we get there on time there's gonna be a lot of people at the bar you don't want to get your foot down early you don't want to get your foot down late you want to always be on time and to get on time you've got to get going early Mm -hmm. that's the oxymoron that's the difference. You get going into your legs in your swing, but you're not committing. So you could be on time. So you can say, okay, yes, 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 no, or yes, 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 yes. So when you look at hitters, eight out of 10 are getting going too late. And then everything is rushed. And then they got, you know, the decision making really now even shortened mm-hmm. where you start looking at why, you know, or, you know, why uh, guys that we train can spit on that or hit it if it's for a strike is you'll notice in video, they get going early so they can be on time. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I think that if we use that verbiage, that's going to help them, you know, and I use usually say, you know, start slow and early. And wh- you've heard the term slow is, or getting started early is going to help you. It's just going to help you get into the ground better. It's going to help you do all of the things that you just talked about. But I don't think kids understand how to use the ground and whenever they think, you know, they have to get their foot down early. They just go forward, like with no with no intentions of getting into the ground and actually using their lower half correctly. Correct. And it's very teachable. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, it could be, you know, it is taught and it is teachable. And and, and again, how about this? So let's say you have a parent out there that's listening and he has a 12 or a 14-year-old kid. Same issues we deal with major league players. Yeah, it's crazy. It? But uh, on, the, on the individual side, I, this is something that, over the last couple of years has taken, you know, the, the, it may be just social media, but you see this too of individualized player development. And it's really hard to do within the team setting. 
And so say for instance, I, I've got almost 30 guys at a time at some points. And it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of conversation. It takes a lot of video. It takes digging into the data just to try and get them and help them to understand what they're doing well and not well. And then trusting them in the environment that we set up to be able to do those things that we are trying to figure out how to do together. And so what's your advice on that? I I don't know if you work with, you know, a large team, but if I'm coming to you as a high school coach and I'm saying, hey, Lorenzo, can you help me out with this aspect? What advice can you give us? The best thing to do is cookie cutter plans won't work. Every hitter, you know, has different flaws. So the first thing I would say is, Let's do an assessment on all 30 hitters, let's say, for starters. Let's see what each one does well and what each one does wrong. And then say, okay, you know, uh, hitter A needs to do these drills to fix his flaws. Hitter B needs to do these uh, drills to fix these flaws. And then when you really break it down, there's probably going to be about five, I'd say about five or six flaws that need to be addressed. Then you station those. And then each hitter, so let's say you have a hitter that doesn't get off the backside or in that practice, he doesn't move those station of the legs until he doesn't get that done because until he doesn't fix those legs, it's just not going to happen. No, that makes a ton of sense. And, and you know, to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, and, and we've talked about Christian a couple of times in this podcast, and you talk a lot about hitting the ball to center field and really driving it over the center field wall, right? And you're you're trying to teach players to dunk, and that was the analogy that you used earlier. But his home run totals went up a lot, and a lot of them were to the pool side. And so, how do you balance that? Because you, you've got guys who they know that power plays, and they know that the more home runs that they hit, the you know the more looks that they're going to get in whatever level that they're at. But how do you balance you know staying directionally center versus, hey, we need to, we hit more home runs to the pool side. So how do we do that? And what's that balance look like? Okay, so yeah, another great question. So if you look at uh, Christian Vasquez's spray chart this year, he did hit more home runs than ever before to right center also. So if you look at his spray chart, he really used the whole field. So this is why we train center. You're going to be late, you're going to be early, and you're mm-hmm. going to be on time. The guy on the mound is what dictates that. So let's mm-hmm. say you're facing Syndergaard, who throws 100 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden throws you a 90-mile-an-hour changeup. You're going to be out in front. But if you were if you were directional to center, now I'm early, now I'm going to pull him, but I'm not going to pull him foul. I'm going to pull him for a home run to left. Let's say I'm thinking changeup on Syndergaard, same thing, and he throws me that heater at 100, and I'm late. Now, since I still have direction going up the middle, I'm, I catch him a little later in the zone. Now my ball goes out to right center. Contact point is huge, but contact point is determined by the pitcher and where you make contact. So this is like everybody's been taught, hit the outside pitch out in front, let the outside pitch and breaking balls travel. Totally the opposite, Jonathan. You want to let the inside fastball come in, and I want to hit the outside pitch and the sliders and curveballs out in front. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, and again, it's, I'm looking at a spray chart right now, and it's it's amazing how much better it looks. In 2018, everything was to the left side, and now uh, everything is more centered. And he, again, you do hit more poolside home runs, but he has one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, six to the opposite field, which is uh, more than he probably had in most of every other season combined to the opposite field. So that's that's great. And 
you know, you mentioned spin rate earlier with data and, and how you're using it. I think that that's an interesting thing to ask everyone just because we all have, we all have the same tools, but we all use them in different ways. And I, I mean, we all have access to the same tools. We all may not have the exact same things or have the budget for that. But what are you guys using? And you mentioned a couple different things early on, but I really want to dig into that if that's okay and, and see if what you can share with us. But for the guys that are listening who are having a really hard time because you see so many numbers and there's so many things that we can do, but where should we really focus our time or where have you decided to focus your time? Okay, so I'm so I'm a huge fan of exit velocity. So I was doing exit velocity before all this all this technology came around. I had a radar gun, so I, I knew that you know it, everybody thinks that your bass speed's got to be fast, and that's how you you know you'll drive the ball. It's a physics equation. It's force equals mass times acceleration. It's the force that you impart into the ball. So exit velocity is huge. So it's force equals mass times acceleration. The more mass times acceleration, the more force I can impart into the baseball, the harder I'm going to hit it. There's a reason why, you know, you know, you look at judge and the biggest guys hit the ball the farthest. They're the biggest guys. So that's very important. Exit velocity is huge and how to create it. Number two, I'm going to just give it to you straight. Great things happen at 25 degrees. Every ball, the, the main fight that, you know, argument that everybody has is launch angle. Every ball has a launch angle. It could be a negative launch angle. It could be a zero launch angle, or it could be a positive launch angle. Mm -hmm. The best hit balls where you want to live as a hitter is at 25 degrees. And that's something because that... if you hit a ball at 25 degrees at a hundred mile an hour exit velo, it's a home run to dead center in any stadium in the country. So let's say I hit it at 98 or 95. Now it's a double. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, you know, I'm at 26, 28 launch angle. It's still going, you know, it's still going to do some damage. So as a hitter, we can train that. I literally am able to train hitters to be consistently in, let's say 15, 20 swings at literally 25. And when the hitter sees that, now he can repeat that. Sure. And th th that's where I was uh, about to ask you, you see different guys that have different theories on launch angle and if it's dictated by the pitch or if it's dictated by the swing or if it's dictated by where you obviously where you hit the ball it's dictated by that and and so you don't you don't talk about or you don't hear some guys say, saying that you can't train that but it sounds like you can absolutely so let's here perfect example let's say you're you have a great freshman let's say he's a great defensive shortstop but he's, he's a freshman in high school he's weighing about a buck 30 buck 40 maybe a buck 50. And let's say you play on a big high school field. Well, listen, I'm not going to have him at 25, 30 degrees because he just doesn't have the force. He doesn't have the mass. But I can, I can definitely put him in that 20 to 18 range, and now he's a line drive hitter. So I'll train him how to be in that 18, 15 to 20 range, and it'll be line drives you know, into the gaps and say, look, once we start putting on more weight, then we're going to get you into that 25, 30 range. Absolutely is trainable, and we do that. Well, perfect. Well, I, I want to dig into you a little bit and your learning. And so what is, you know, what is something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? It could be about the game. It could be about training. It could be about some, just anything that you've learned lately. <laughs> Jonathan, always learning. 55 years old, and I, I know less now than I know than I knew uh, 10 days ago. So always learning. God, there's so many things that we go through on an everyday basis. What, what have I learned? Uh, what have I learned? 
uh, here, I'll tell you what I've learned, you know, on a positive. Everybody's being more open-minded. Uh, before it was more of a closed-minded industry, it's definitely being more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, just us being in our podcast, you know, that great, great honor. I think everybody's understanding that this is teachable and that it is trainable and that, you know, people are starting to see and we continue to get better at it, learn how to teach it better, that, hey, we can we can train you to hit 25. We can train you to hit at 15. And with new technologies, it verifies what we're teaching. We use technology to verify. We don't use it to teach. Huge difference, big difference. So, for instance, if I give you a drill, and I tell you, look, this drill's going to get your ex, uh, your exit velocity and your launch angles better. And I've got Rap Soto on, and it's not happening. Well, it's not the player's fault. It's the drill that I'm giving them. So it holds us, the instructor, accountable, and it lets us innovate on different ways to teach to try to get the numbers that we're trying to, you know, to to get the player to produce. Mm-hmm. Understand that? I love that, and I love the open mindedness. I mean, in the end, it's it's going to help the players get better, and that's. That's at the end of the day. That's what we need to be worried about. Just take our ego aside and and really sit down and say, what you know, what's going to make this player better? Uh, the next question that I have, it's something that you guys do in training. And so, if, let's say you walked in one day and you've got a couple guys ready to train, and you say, hey, we're doing this today, and they love it. Like it may be their favorite drill, it may be their favorite game, their favorite competition. But is there something that comes to mind whenever I say that? Yes, the, the rep soto. So how about this? So, um, and I go, I always go to the major leagues and then we trickle down. Major league players don't like data or they didn't like data. So look, I mean, Christian Vasquez, great example. First couple of days he came uh, and, and we got to work, you know, we got to work with Mookie Betts this year. He hired us also, all the guys from Seattle. So all the guys, when they come in and they see their absolute, they're like, eh, I'm not into that. I don't need to see that. Jonathan, within two days, it's like, hey. I need to see those numbers, put it on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You said you didn't want that on. No, 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 no. I want it on. And mm-hmm. everybody loves to see the numbers because it's competition. It's, it's, you know, like, Hey, if I, if I got to be at 25, I want every swing to be at 25. Mm-hmm. So they compete on that. They compete on exit velocity. They compete on spin. How many can keep it, you know, with true backspin. So I would say the rap Soto is a great unit and that they all end up loving it. And I, I can't turn it off. I want to turn it off, but I can't turn it off. Sure, I like that. And so the next question, and and I love to hear the hear the different competitions that you're doing with the Rap Soto. And so for those listeners who are are looking for different games, especially during this time, and we're all in cages uh, for the most part, unless we're in Miami, then we may be on a field. But for for the next question, it's something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about, and. It's, it's something that, again, that, that we all have biases and we all have things that we think and we, or we know that works with our players that other coaches may disagree with us about. And so what, are, what is one thing or maybe a few things that you believe that other coaches that you may, you may have discussions with other coaches and they may agree or disagree with you about? Number one, and it's our company culture and, and my personal model. If one of our clients doesn't hit, it's not their fault, it's our fault. When somebody that we're training doesn't do well, we blame ourselves and we take it upon ourselves to make sure that that doesn't happen. We never blame the player or let's say bench the player or say, look, you're just not that good. We never look at it that way. So there's disagreements there. You know, people feel that some guys are uncoachable or the player doesn't put the time in, which are factors. There are, you know, there are certain factors, 
But if, if, if you work with Gratham or you work at Gratham, it's, it's our responsibility for that client to hit. I love that, taking complete ownership. And another one, since we can't, since most of our listeners can't watch you work on a daily basis or see that culture or that environment, if we, if we, if you were going to give us a look inside what a day would look like in the life of you or in the life of a, of a Gratham hitter, let's say that that we did show up, what would be three things that you think that we would notice, or three things that we would stand out about the environment, about the culture, about your teaching style, or just about anything of those in general? Oh, I'm just going to go by the feedback that we get from our clients. Number one feedback we get is that we connect the dots. So, mm-hmm. like I said, that first hour that we meet you, the educational part that you're going to really learn what Mike Trout does, what Mookie Betts does, what J.D. Martinez does. What are they actually doing in the swing? And what are you, you know, what are you doing that they're not doing, you know, that, you know, that you need to do better. So the educational part, connect the dots. We get that all the time, that phrase. We connect the dots. Number two, it's a, it's a very intense, uh, you know, session from a learning perspective, but it's very, very calm, you know, in the sense of, you know, if it takes an hour and a half, it takes an hour and a half. You know, whatever it takes for you to learn, we're there for you to learn. So in that case, you feel like, hey, look, this is a learning environment. It really is. And then number three, I think you're going to see that you start doing things. I hear this all the time. I've never done that before. I've never been able to take an, an inside pitch, two balls in, and take it up to right center. And that's what we usually, you know, we get to hear that a lot. Well, that's fantastic. And so the final question, I, I think that this is a this is a question that comes up a lot in any podcast circles or any coaches conventions or any time that you're asking other people where they're getting their information from or some of their most influential resources. But what are some of your favorite books or resources or videos or different programs that you use that have influenced your coach's career, coaching career? Great question. I'm a big reader, so I do read a lot. And I think two books that really changed me. Uh, one is Mindset by Carol Dweck whether you're open mindset or closed mindset and, you know, myself having children, how we parent or how we coach or how we teach or how we just go through our day-to-day lives. I think it's a great read, a great book for everybody, whether you're, you know, 14 years old or whether you're 55, 60, 40, whatever age, Carol Dweck, Stanford professor, the book is called Mindset. And then another one that's really changed us like huge in a great way is a gentleman named Gary Vaynerchuk. He's like a social media expert. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Jab, Jab, Hook. And uh, Teaching Tuesdays was born out of Jab, Jab, Hook. I never wanted to do Teaching Tuesdays. My son Carlos was like, hey, Dad, you need to put all your stuff out there. Just put it out there. Trust me, it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit the company. It's going to benefit all of us. And he was right. So one of the things that we do is that, free, like, you can come in at any time and schedule your free swing assessment. We don't charge you. If you're a major leaguer and you call me, I will fly out. I will work with them for two days on the house so they can see, look, we know what we're doing. We can communicate it and we can help you get better. So the book is jab, jab, hook. You don't want to come in and just hook somebody. You want to jab, give, 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 and then you hook. Oh, fantastic. A lot of Gary V. Gary V fans in the podcast world, I'm sure. And, and so Lorenzo, I, I appreciate your time today and, and it's been a, such a great discussion. And I just, you know, for our listeners who would like to get more in touch with you, I know you're, you're more on Instagram than Twitter, 
But what would be some different avenues that they could reach out and ask you questions, maybe come by the shop or, or just anything in general uh, that they could get in contact with you? We have, we have four locations in South Florida, opening up our fifth. Uh, definitely DM us on Instagram. Our guys do a great job. You know, something funny, Jonathan, I don't even know how to log into my Instagram. And I'm not <laughs> on Twitter because I'm just so busy. I don't have time to tweet, even though, you know, I, I see some of the things going on on Twitter. We could do a better job of that. But, you know, reach out to Instagram. Give us a call. Go to our website. Our numbers are there in all the facilities. You know, I have a great team around me. I could not do what I do if it wasn't for the team that, that, that I'm a part of and it's around me. So any of the, any of the people that you speak to at Bradham, they're going to they're gonna take care of you. Well, perfect. Well, that sounds like a perfect segue to end the show, but I always want to open up the mic. And Lorenzo, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? There is no substitute for work, and repetition is the mother of skill. Once you learn how to do something, work. Here, and, and I can end it on this. So, uh, Mookie, I don't know if you guys, you're, you're, you know, you said you're a Boston fan. So, Mookie Betts wasn't hitting very well this year. I think uh, as of July 1st, he was hitting 260. And he called me up, and he hired us July 2nd, and he had a phenomenal year, ended up winning the Silver Slugger. And here's what I would tell your audience. Mookie Betts never missed a day. We worked every single day for two months, and he never missed a day. Now, I don't know if people understand the schedule that major leaguers have. We turn on the, t- turn on the TV at 7 o'clock to watch the game, but we've been going at it since 9 o'clock a.m. So, you know, here's a guy who's very successful, reigning MVP, uh, is, you know, does very well for himself and his family and for his team, and he just works like there's no tomorrow. Now, if Mookie Betts has to do that, imagine if you're coming up, what do you need to do? Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.